Um, tonight, um, I wanted to look at um, the topic of King Saul, why he was rejected and why King David was chosen. So the topic of it, I, I called it, was a heart that is pleasing to God. In comparing them, I want to look at their hearts, what God values and what God rejects. Both Saul and David had success stories and both had failings. But there is an important area where they differed. One had a heart after God's own heart, whereas the other didn't. It's important to know what matters to God because it affects us in this life and for eternity. And ultimately, what God thinks is all that really matters. First, I want to introduce why Israel wanted a king to rule over them. So I'll do a quick uh, history overview. In Israel's early days after Moses and Joshua, God raised up judges that ruled over Israel. Gideon was a judge and Samson was a judge also. And there were many others as well. Most of what we are looking at tonight comes from the book of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, but he also served as a judge as well. Samuel's mother was Hannah, but remember, Hannah wasn't able to have children originally as the Lord had closed her womb, it says. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. The phrase, there shall no razor come upon his head, is one of the requirements of a Nazarite vow which Samson, who came before Samuel, also lived by. I found that interesting. God hears Hannah's humble prayer, and she conceives and in time has Samuel. As promised, when Samuel was weaned, Hannah gives Samuel back to the Lord. Samuel is from the line of Levi and served the priest, uh, served the priest Eli from when he was just a little boy. Samuel ends up being the last of the judges before Israel transitioned to having kings as well. When Samuel is judge, um, when Samuel is judge, Israel is basically twelve separate tribes. But by the time David uh, is king, Israel becomes uh, a unified monarchy. Samuel has sons, and he appeared. Uh, appointed them to serve as judges in Beersheba, but they don't follow uh, in the footsteps of Samuel. Uh, they were evil and they turned aside after Luca. They took bribes and they perverted judgment, it says. In 1 Samuel 8, the elders of Israel come to Samuel and say in 1 Samuel 8, verses 5 to 7, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. How make us a king, uh, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel. 
when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. In earlier Bible references in Genesis and Deuteronomy, God knew Israel would desire a king over them. But their motive for wanting one wasn't right because God said, They have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Yet God still allowed it to occur. Samuel, at God's command, warned the people, people by describing what the behaviour of a king would be like. How he would draft the young men and women for his service, tax their crops and flocks, choose the best of their animals and servants, and place limitations on their personal freedoms. Samuel warned them that they would cry out in a future day because of their king, which they wanted, and the Lord would not hear them in that day. In spite of the warnings, the people refused to listen and say, Nay, but we will have a king over us. Up until now, the Lord had fought for Israel and given them victory over all their enemies. But Israel has forgotten that and they want to replace him with a human king. So this is where we are introduced to Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 to 2 says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of uh, Bechoreth, the son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a mighty man of power, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Saul, Saul stood head and shoulder above anyone else. He would have looked exactly like the man Israel was asking for to be their king. In 1 Samuel 10, 24, it says, And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. God has given the people what they asked for with Saul, and Samuel anoints him as their king. Saul's first duty as king comes in 1 Samuel 11, when Naash, the Ammonite, comes up and besieges the Israelite town Jabeth-Gilead. The men of Jabeth asked to make a treaty with him, and Naash says, uh, on one condition, that I gorge out all your right eyes and bring disgrace on all Israel. Understandably, the leader, leaders of Jabesh say, give us a week to try find some more Israelites to come and save us. And if we can't, we'll give ourselves up to you. So Naash must have agreed to their request or allowed it because in chapter 11, verse 6, Saul hears the news. 
And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these, those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. God's Spirit comes upon Saul, who's been anointed king now, and when he hears what their enemy is about to do to the Israelites, he gets angry. This is God motivating Saul to action. Saul cuts some oxen into bits and sends them throughout Israel and said, Whoever doesn't come after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to their oxen. And the fear of the Lord comes on the people, and they all come out together to fight, and they count and they have over 300,000 men. Saul splits his army into three companies, and he does a pre-dawn surprise attack, and they battle, it says, uh, the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and God gives them the victory, and it's a success story. Samuel addresses all Israel after their victory, and he reminds the people that the Lord had raised up the judges who came before, who Samuel was, and had delivered Israel from their enemies before they had a king, something the people seemed to have forgotten. In chapter 12, verses 12 to 13, And when ye saw that Naash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired. And behold, the Lord hath sent, set a king over you. It's made clear again to Israel that they were rejecting God when they called for a king instead of trusting God. But he would continue to lead and protect them. And God heard their desire and he granted it. Samuel continues in verse 14. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you. And it was as it was against your fathers. This was a command and a promise to Israel. If they submit and obey the Lord, it will be well. But if they disobey and rebel, the Lord's hand would be against them. And it says in verse 18, the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And they asked Samuel to pray to the Lord that he wouldn't kill them for their sin and for asking for a king. And Samuel replies in verse 22 of chapter 12, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, he shall be, you shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Next we read in chapter 13 verse 4, And all Israel 
heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also uh, was had in abomination with the Philistines and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. A commentator suggested Saul gave Jonathan the order to do a surprise attack on the Philistines at uh, Geba and destroyed them, which could have breached an agreement possibly that they had together because it says that Israel was had in abomination with the Philistines or they did stink with the Philistines. In chapter 10, verse 8, Saul was commanded to wait seven days to meet Samuel at uh, Gilgal, which happened before this so Samuel could come and perform a sacrifice to God because of the attack on the Philistines garrison Saul's people are becoming anxious and fearful over the coming battle they know the Philistines are amassing a huge army against them the Philistines have gathered 30,000 chariots 6,000 horsemen and the people are as the sand of the seashore they didn't even number the people, it just says sand as the seashore. So this is a pretty massive army coming against them. It seems like an unwise decision by Saul to attack the Philistines when he had been commanded to be somewhere and wait um, by God. But he continues to wait. On the seventh day, Saul becomes impatient though, and he performs the sacrifice himself. Saul isn't a priest and he doesn't have the right to do it and he disobeys God's commandment. This is obviously a test of Saul's character and obedience to God. Right as he finishes making the burnt offering, Samuel arrives and he sees what Saul has done and he asks what he has done. And in chapter 13, verse 11, And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the appoint days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together. Uh, in verse uh, 13, Samuel replied and said, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Saul's disobedience was why God was rejecting Saul. Saul's heart wasn't dedicated to obey God, and God was now choosing a man that had a heart like his own. A man that had a heart to obey God's commandments. We know that man, the uh, man God was referring to was David. God delivers Israel from this massive army again, uh, through Jonathan and his armor bearer, if you remember, um, and their incredible story of trusting God. God confused the Philistines and they turned on each other and they fled. Saul has many more battles against their enemies and it says of Saul that Philistines fought hard against him all the days of Saul's life. Before David is introduced, though, God looks to give Saul another chance to show if his heart has changed to obey God, to obey him. 
In 1 Samuel 15, verse 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which uh, Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen, sheep, camel and ass. It's a pretty clear commandment from the Lord that he wants them utterly destroyed. He wants nothing left. So Saul gathers his army and he waits in the valley uh, and he warns the Kenite people who were kind to Israel as they came up out of Egypt. He warns them to depart from among the, Amal uh, the, uh, the Amalekites or they could be destroyed uh, along with them. So Saul and his army attack and he takes uh, Agag the king alive, but he destroys the rest of the people. Uh, in verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they utterly destroyed. Saul again has done what he thinks is enough to please God, but Saul hasn't fully obeyed God's commandment. God says in verse 11, It repenteth me that I have set Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed mine commandments, my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. The next morning, Samuel gets up and goes to Saul, and Saul says, The Lord bless you. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel says, Why can I hear sheep bleeding and oxen lowing? And Saul says, We kept them from the Amalekites because the people kept the best sacrifice to God, but we utterly killed all the rest. Saul doesn't take responsibility for his sin, and he blames others for what's happened. Saul and his men won the battle and they had destroyed the Amalekite people but the best of the sheep and oxen that they had chosen to keep and they'd spared the enemy king. Even though from a human's perspective it seems like a success, Saul had disobeyed God's commandment and that was far more important to God than winning any battle. God is rejecting Saul now because he cannot obey. Saul proved again he didn't have a heart that loved God no matter what. Today, obedience is still vital in showing that we are truly saved and love the Lord. God doesn't change his attributes. In 1 John 2 verse 3, And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We can't pick and choose parts of God's commandments to obey and to reject other bits. Obedience to God has to be complete and from the heart. If we do what we think is enough and willfully reject other commandments, it's disobedience to God and we have to evaluate our standing with God. In 1 Samuel 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel says to Saul, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? When Saul first became king, the Lord had lifted him up because he was humble and lowly. 
But now he was proud and lifted up and the Lord was now rejecting him. Regarding Saul's comment about sacrificing to animals, they kept to God. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So Samuel uh, says why Saul's being rejected. After this meeting, Samuel never went to see Saul again in his lifetime. And after this, Samuel travels to Bethlehem and calls Jesse and his sons to a sacrifice unto the Lord. Jesse comes and brings his sons to the sacrifice and Samuel sees Jesse's eldest son, uh, Eliab, and says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And in chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God reminds Samuel that his anointed one was not chosen because of his physical attributes. God doesn't look on you like people do, and he, he looks on your heart, on the inner man. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, uh, the Lord, um, referring to the scribes and Pharisees, says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We can trick people and deceive with appearance because as people we can't see others' motives or their heart, what's going on in their inner being. People always that um, aren't always very good at determining their own motives, let alone others. Like we, we don't always understand why we even fully do things ourselves. But that's not so with God. God um, looks on us and he knows our complete motives. Uh, I saw a research published in 2019 um, uh, that globally fraud costs businesses and individual, individuals over 6.8 trillion Australian dollars every year. That is four and a half times the entire Australian GDP and it's, I think, a third of the United States GDP. And that is just fraud. Thefts and violence and murders and all the other things that go along with it uh, are all extra. Um, and this is, it's a huge cost on our society. And uh, that's just the monetary cost. The physical and mental costs are just as big and the problems that come from them, they plague our societies and they, our societies still continue to move further and further away from God and his words. And we just, you just have to look at the media today and you can see uh, the path the world is just on a downward spiral. Samuel went one by one through Jesse's son, and the Lord said to Samuel, not this one. Eventually, Samuel got through all of the sons Jesse had brought along, and Samuel basically said to Jesse, are all your kids here? And Jesse says, there is the youngest, but he's back watching the sheep. 
paraphrasing. Jesse hadn't even bothered to bring David along. Samuel says, go get him. When David finally arrives and comes in, it mentions that David was ruddy and had beautiful countenance or beautiful eyes. And he was good, uh, good to look at and he was, he was a handsome guy, basically. So we know God wasn't choosing David because of his outward appearance or looks. But it's interesting to note that David, um, he wasn't uh, unattractive either and, and it hadn't made him vain. So David arrives and the Lord says to Samuel, this is the one, anoint him. Samuel anoints him in front of his father and brothers. And in chapter 16, verse 13, it says, And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. As David is chosen by God and anointed to be the king, the next king of Israel, God empowers him with his Holy Spirit coming upon him. In the very next verse, verse 14, it says, But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. God's blessing and empowerment have now been removed from Saul, and Saul's downward path continues. I can only imagine uh, being a king of a nation would be very difficult, especially one that was having to go to war and responsible for a fairly new nation but to have God remove his spirit from you and divinely allowing an evil spirit to trouble him I can imagine Saul must have had some idea that he no longer had God's blessing on his life uh, as a king Saul's servants are aware that an evil spirit is troubling him and they are also aware that it's only there because God's allowed it to be there as they say an evil spirit from God is troubling you God troubling Saul with an evil spirit allows David, though, to be introduced to Saul. Saul's servants come up with an idea that if they find someone who plays the harp well, when Saul is troubled by the evil spirit, that they can play the harp music and Saul will feel better. It's interesting to note David is already known in the king's court by his servants. A servant lists six of David's qualities to Saul in verse 18, saying, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, referring to the harp, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, like of speech and his affairs, and comely person, so he was a nice guy to be around. And most importantly of all, it says the Lord is with him. David has already got a great testimony that has come all the way to the king's ears. People are aware that the Lord is with him. So with a resume like that, Saul sends messages to David's father and says, Send me David your son, which is with the sheep. And it's another note there that even though Samuel had been and chosen David and anointed him to be the next king of Israel, David has humility and patience and returns to his job as a shepherd until God calls him. We haven't had much to do with David yet, and there is already so many good points we can see that he has. 
remembering it's estimated that David would have only been around the age of 16 or se- uh, 17 that they um, they work out when all this is taking place. So he's only a young man. David comes to Saul and serves him and plays the harp when he is troubled by the evil spirit. And Saul is refreshed and made well. And the evil spirit departs from him and it says Saul loved him greatly. One of the best known stories in the whole Bible is the one of David and Goliath. David at this time was juggling serving Saul and still returning home to tend to his father's sheep. And this would have been preparing him for the future responsibilities of being a king and having to juggle um, responsibilities. His father Jesse sends him to visit his three oldest brothers who have followed Saul to battle against the Philistines. He brings them some food and to see how they are getting on. So David is obedient to his father and he comes to his brothers on the battlefield. Israel and the Philistines are lined up army against army on each side of the valley. And a few years ago, Robbie and Bryce and I got to go over to Israel with Kevin Curl on one of his Bible tours, uh, like a few in the church have been able to do. And uh, I remember well when we went to this valley and we got to stand up and look over and it was, it was, uh, it's amazing to be able to do that, to be able to put the Bible into your mind like a 3D picture. I remember it well and the brook there where we uh, visited. And both armies were camped nearby and they would have been, wouldn't have been very far from each other. Uh, so it wasn't uh, a, a massive distance. It's obviously close enough that Goliath can come out and call and be heard by the other side. Goliath the Philistine comes out as he had been doing, it says, for 40 days. So we see there hasn't been any progress in the battle. It seems like it's at a stalemate. David comes and he hears Goliath taunting the Israelite army. And each time they see Goliath, uh, the army is sore afraid. And it says Saul included. And Goliath, uh, it gives us his height. It says he was nine feet, nine inches tall. And that works out to be about 292 centimetres tall. He wore a bronze helmet and had uh, bronze leg armour. And it probably gleamed in the sunlight. And he wore a uh, wore a coat of mail itself, just the coat weighed 55 kilograms, it says. And his spear was like a weaver's beam and its iron tip weighed over six and a half kilograms. And I saw a replica of this spear that they said could have been uh, like the one Goliath used uh, according to his height and spears of the day. And it was incredible to think of the man that could have held that and wielded that in battle. Uh, it would have been a terrifying sight. Um, Goliath was basically invincible to any normal man. He was a warrior from his youth and he knew how to kill. David hears Goliath taunting the army and he sees him and what he's doing to the men. And he asks in chapter 17, verse 26 of 1 Samuel, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David doesn't see Goliath and fall into fear. God is with David, and David wants to do something to the enemy of the living God. Remember that David has spirit, uh, God's spirit dwelling with him. 
Word gets to Saul and he quickly sends for the first guy that has expressed any sort of interest in actually taking up Goliath's offer for a one-on-one fight. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. I will go and fight this Philistine. David is brave and courageous. Saul says you can't because you are a youth and Goliath a man of war since his youth. David explains that as a shepherd, when a lion or bear had taken a lamb from his flock, he went out after it and rescued the lamb from its mouth. And when the animal attacked him, he grabbed it and by its beard and he killed it. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like that like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. You can see what's important to David here is he's offended by the Philistine um, and his rebuke to God's people. Also, God save me from the lion and bear. He will deliver me from this Philistine. Philistine. We can see David's trust and faith in God. He knows God has uh, has promise that he will one day become the king but um, David has a boldness when all the others are fearful Proverbs 28 1 comes to my mind where it says the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion Saul who is also afraid of Goliath says go and the Lord be with thee we can see how much importance Saul and his men place on appearances with God's help, David was able to overcome that expectation and do what was needed. David meets Goliath on the battlefield between the two armies who are watching on on each side. Nothing has happened yet, but David gives God the glory. He has the spirit of God upon him and he is confident the Lord will give him the victory. And he says in verse 45 to 49 of chapter 17, Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the... Uh, I will Give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. And David puts his hand in his bag and took uh, thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. David was only a shepherd. But God was with David, and that made all the difference. And God used the skills that David had acquired while faithfully doing his job as a shepherd. So Goliath seems impossible for any mortal man to kill. Experienced soldiers weren't even willing to fight him. David flings a single stone and hits Goliath in the forehead, and he falls face first to the ground. 
The Philistine army sees their champion fall and die and they flee. It's one of the greatest stories of trust and faith in God. Because because of David's success and because of the people's praise for David more than Saul, Saul develops jealousy and hatred for David that grows and gets more and more. There are many times that Saul tries to pin David to the wall with his spear. Over the years, though, David has multiple opportunities to retaliate and kill Saul, and his warriors try even to convince him to do it, but he never gives in. David knows it's not up to him to kill Saul, who is still the king, and he knows God will make it happen in his time. David is patient, he's willing to wait. David even develops a close and loyal friendship with Jonathan, Saul's son, despite that all that's going on between David and Saul. It's important to remember, however, that David was a sinner like all men and women are. He's one of the most important figures in Israel's history today, but David made sinful choices in life as well. After he becomes king, David should have been out with his men on the battlefield one day, but he lingered in the palace. And he sees uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, bathing from the palace roof and sends for her and he commits adultery with her. When Bathsheba tells David that she's pregnant, David tries to cover his sin by having Uriah called back from the battle field to try and make him go into his wife and to make it seem that the child could be Uriah's. Uriah is more honourable than David in this thing though and he refuses to go home to his wife while his fellow soldiers are still out at war on the battlefield. So David has him placed, sent back to the battle and put on the battle the on the, the front line and while the others that are with him withdraw and Uriah gets killed. Uriah is listed in 2 Samuel 23 verse 39 as Uriah the Hittite. And he has a Hebrew name meaning the Lord is my light. And he's listed among David's mighty men there. And because David is trying to cover his own sin here, David has him killed and it's a terrible thing to do. But nothing escapes God. And he says this, and it says that this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sends Nathan the prophet to David. By this time, Samuel had passed and Nathan had uh, become the prophet. And Nathan tells a story of a rich man stealing a lamb from a poor man to feed a guest. And David gets angry because it's unjust. And Nathan says, thou art the man. God rebukes David and promises because of what he has done that the sword will never depart from his house. When David is, conv uh, when David is convicted of his own sin, he doesn't make any excuses though. He doesn't blame anyone else. David simply repents of his sins to God. Psalm 51 records David's prayer to God for this sin and I wanted to read some of it out. Um, so we can see what was going on in David's heart. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Skipping to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy parent, uh, presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Even though David repents of his sin, it didn't stop the consequences, though, and the punishment for his sin that happen in this life. David continued as king, but he and his family suffered a lot. There was rape, murder, and killings of David's children, which all stem back from David's sin. After David, his son Solomon came to the throne, and from the kingdom that David had established, Solomon's kingdom um, becomes a powerhouse in the Middle East there. David confessed and repented what he had done, and the Lord spared his life when the law called for the death penalty for what he'd done. And it shows how forgiving our God is when we repent to him. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So um, a psalm of David, um, 86 verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Of the 150 psalms, uh, I believe David is the known author of about 73 of them and possibly more. David had a heart to praise God in poems and in songs. David wrote songs of praise to God. They're like prayers. When David sinned, he wrote songs of repentance. And when he was heartbroken, he wrote songs of agony. But he always gives the honor and glory to God. You've probably personally read Psalms of David in your own times of heartbreak and loss and have found them to be an great encouragement to you. When we read Psalms of David um, of praise and rejoicing to God, they lift us up and show us how gracious and loving God is. As Christians, we are to be praising God from our hearts every day and give thanks for all things for the good and for the bad. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says, Giving thanks always for all things under God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. God allows us to go through seasons in life to draw us closer to himself. Like plants, we need winter times of life to learn to rest in God and to kill off pests or bad habits in our lives. And we need the spring and summer time months, uh, which we can have growth and bear fruit. 
There are many men and women recorded in the Bible that had hearts to love and obey God. And I think we can have godly heroes that we can look to in the Bible or even godly men that have come uh, in modern times to pattern our lives after. It says uh, in Psalm 37 verse 37, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. Christ is our perfect example but there are others that we can learn from as well, that God has given to us as examples. And I love the story of Job because nothing could make him doubt God and God could boast in him to Satan, even though he went through so much loss and trials. It's just a, it's an amazing story. God desires men and women today as much as ever to have hearts that are after his it really comes down to us and how willing we are to bend to God's molding and pruning. If we do the basics every day, reading God's word, the Bible, and praying every day, we will grow, grow, grow. And I just want to finish up now by reading a Psalm of David and Psalm 37 from verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass." And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. For those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, though diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnaweth uh, upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that is a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the armies of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, and they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. 
For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they shall be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, or his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, dwell for evermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I'll just close in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that we can hopefully glean something tonight from your word, looking at uh, the heart and David, who had a heart to follow uh, after you, Lord, who had a heart after yours. We do pray, Lord, that we would be able to evaluate ourselves, Lord, and where our heart and motives are and be have a desire, Lord, to seek your will and not our own, Lord, to have a desire to be obedient and trust in you, Lord. And I pray for all that have listened into this lord that you would be with them and uh, just bless them lord uh, and that um, we would give you the praise and the honor and the glory lord and we pray for these things now in jesus name amen